Like I said, we are starting our uh, series in Romans. We're starting in cha Romans chapter 1. We'll go right into the message here. Romans chapter 1, and I would um, invite you. Everybody's welcome to stay after for as long as you want or as short as you want. Stay. We'll have some food, and then we'll, set up, we'll be setting up in here to eat, and then we'll have table games, and you can just fellowship and have four, five, six cups of tea and coffee. And uh, but we have some fun games. Normally on New Year's Eve, we sort of get together and wear ourselves out. But I didn't want to do that on Saturday night before church because I knew half of you would still be in bed. So we'll just stay around. It is New Year's Day. It's a good day to meet together and bring in the new year today. <clears throat> so I'm going to start off in Romans chapter one. The title of the message is to all that be in Rome, which is what this book is. That's why it's called Romans. And um, this is the greatest book in the New Testament. And that's not an overstatement. Uh, Matthew is awesome. You read the Gospel of Matthew, the king coming to set up the kingdom. Revelation is amazing. The Gospel of John is assuring. But the book of Romans condenses into 16 chapters the greatest themes of all humanity. It explains sin, judgment, justification and forgiveness, sanctification, victory, eternal security, and worthwhile service. You can waste your life uh, or you can live it in service for God that actually matters to eternity, which is what we're going to be studying uh, in the Men Made Right on Sunday nights, looking at uh, um, Solomon as he looked at all the things he did. He said absolutely everything he did was worthless because he did it for himself. He did it for his kingdom. He did it for his wives. He did it for everybody but from God, for God, and he said it was worthless. And we're going to learn not to make the same mistake, gentlemen. So Rev, uh, Romans explains why, is there, why there is sin in every heart. It tells us why we have a problem. It explains the consequences of sin in us and the remedy. The remedy is not a pill. It's not a bottle. It is the gospel. Uh, as a matter of fact, the book of Romans answers questions you have never thought of yet. It is in this one book. I mean, it's called Romans. And it'd be really good if the Roman Catholic Church had started reading this book and, and teaching it and believing it because this book is very different than what you'll hear in most churches. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came, what he can do, not what the church can do. I mean, if you're Roman Catholic, wouldn't you have wanted to read the book of Romans? <laughs> Because it was written to Rome and to the people there. And the book of Romans is why there was a Reformation to try to bring things back right. Now, we're not part of the Reformation. See, the book of Romans also why Baptists never joined the Catholic Church and always never had to pull away because we just went by the Bible. Now, the book of Romans follows right after the book of Acts. Uh, it stabilizes the Christian in doctrine. You see, the book of Acts is action, activity. They're going, they're preaching. And they're full of zeal. But let me say something. Let me say three things. Number one, zeal without knowledge is dangerous. <laughs> when you don't have Bible doctrine, you will burn out on your zeal. Okay? Um, uh, there are too many people who get excited about salvation, about the Bible, but they never learn the Bible. And they burn out and they fall out and they give up on the Christian life because after a while, things don't always make sense. And all the joy, the excitement, the thrill is gone. And that's why, and I'm going to say something about marriage here for a second. Most people get married full of zeal and then six months later, they want to kill each other. Maybe two years later, they're separated or whatever. You know why that happens? It's because they're not trying to get to know one another. They're still married on the, the thrill of the excitement of, of, getting, of, of just being with one another, and they never knew that took the time to get to know one another. And I don't care, you're married 43 years, you're still discovering, you're still learning, you're still getting to know one another, and that keeps the marriage strong. And that keeps the Christian strong too. The more we learn about Jesus Christ, the more we love him. So you'll end up charismatic, and you'll have loads of zeal, but with no Bible knowledge, and many of them end up in cults. But let me say the flip side of that. It is people who have knowledge but have no zeal. <laughs> They're just as bad. They're dead. They have no joy. They're like Calvinists and Presbyterians and many Baptists. Oh, they got all the head knowledge, but there's no heart. So can you find a balance where there should be zeal and passion with knowledge? So you have the book of Acts followed by the book of Romans. 
You can turn the world upside down with such a balance there. <clears throat> now, the book of Romans can be outlined like this, all right? Chapters 2, uh, chapters 1 and 2 deal with sin. We're going to deal with this thing quite thoroughly because Paul does here in the Bible. Chapter 3, 4, and 5 will talk about the remedy, salvation. Then chapters 6 and 7, we'll talk about the word sanctification. What a good Bible word that is. Sanctification, that's victory over sin. That's living the new life. Chapter 8 deals with our security in Christ. You're not, only, you're not secure because you join a church or because you pray a prayer. You're secure because he won't let you go. And then chapters 9, 10, 11 deal with the special place of the Jews. They are part of God's plan and part of God's kingdom. And we're kind of, we've been snuck in through, you know, from, from the bottom. And we're in this kingdom. We're, we've been adopted, but they had first place. And they have a special place in God's plan. And then chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 talks about serving God, a life of service. Now, what is unique about the book to the Romans, if you have a Bible, sometimes at the top it'll just have the word Romans. Or it might have the epistle of Paul, the apostle, to the Romans. Epistle is an apostle's wife. You know that, right? No. <clears throat> epistle means letter. And uh, it was written to the Romans, but it's not supposed to only be read by the Romans. You're actually allowed to read someone else's mail here. Because God took it and put it into the Bible for all of us. So this morning, we want to sit down and read it like it was written to us. So we'll start in chapter 1 and verse 1. Um, and let's look about the writer. He starts off right with verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So the writer of this thing is the apostle Paul, yes. He starts off with his own name. Now, I doubt any of you write, start that letter. Like when I write my mom, I don't, go, I don't start off the letter Craig. Living in, in Ireland to my mother. No, we, we, in our modern world, we reverse it. We say, to so-and-so, from so-and-so. That's how we write. And we'll end our letter with our name and with a sincere, you know, sincerely or respectfully or I love you or whatever. But boy, in that day, <clears throat> when you picked up a letter, you knew who it was written to and who wrote it right, all the, right off the bat. Paul. Uh, now, it's kind of funny. He's writing this while he's traveling all over modern-day Turkey. At that time, it was called Galatia. And uh, as, as he's preaching the gospel and starting churches, he hears of Christians all the way over in Rome, and he writes a letter to them. And he does it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know, when somebody, uh, uh, when somebody picks up a Bible, you're not reading the words of men. What are they? They are the words of God. Like I pick up, I use a biro. If I used a biro here and I start to write something on a piece of paper, who's doing the writing? Now, the biro is actually spilling the ink on the page. And you might start to think that maybe the biro is doing the writing. The, the, the biro is being guided by my hand. So when Paul sat down and he wrote this letter, God was guiding every word he, he wrote. That's in your Bible. The Bible says, holy men of God spake as they were moved like me moving a, a, a pen. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so when Paul's writing this thing, he has no idea. <clears throat> he hadn't sat down and says, okay, I'll say this and I'll say that. No, no, no. This is by the Holy Spirit of God. Take your Bible. Let's learn. Let's review this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Holding your place in Romans. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, same person who wrote Romans is writing this book to a young man named Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given to us by what? By inspiration of God. When you think of inspiration, think of somebody like this who sits down and they feel like I'm inspired to paint a sunset. Or I feel like I should. All right, so they, a lot of times, one of the worst things of being an artist or a writer is being forced to create. If you know anything about being creative, it's hard to just sit down and do it. You have to wait for motivation or what they call inspiration, okay? Now, it's not the same, but you'll understand this is how Paul 
just sat down and started to write this thing and God is guiding him. All scripture, let's read it again, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's absolute truth, for reproof, wow, that tells us when we're wrong, for correction and for instruction in righteousness. So it simply means that God spoke, men wrote, and then copies were made and lo and behold, here we got it right here today. So who was this guy named Paul? Paul was an ex-Jewish Pharisee, a very powerful religious leader who hated Christians. This is the enemy of Christianity. He persecuted, he hunted, he killed Christians for a living. That was his life until the day he was converted. Don't be so afraid of the word converted because everyone on this planet needs to be converted. If you think you're good enough, I'll ask your wife. <laughs> I'll ask your kids, I'll ask your boss, I'll ask your employees, and they'll say, boy, does he need a change. You see, we all start off a mess. We start off wrong. We start off just like our parents. We need a new heart. We need a new, a, a, we need to, what the Bible calls being born all over again on the inside. Paul was going along, very religious, very devout, very zealous as a murderer, killing Christians, torturing them until the day he was converted. And that leads you to the point of why Paul was used by God. Because most of the New Testament in numbers of books is written by Paul. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. John wrote the Gospel of John and then 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Peter wrote 1 2 Peter. Here, and Paul writes a chunk of the new testament why would god use this man paul so much more than he used peter it was because he was saved you want to be used by god get saved you want to be used by the devil live your own life do whatever you, you are a puppet to somebody if you want to uh just live your life and think that you're independent you're free you can do whatever you want go right ahead you are the devil's slave but if you get you decide i don't want my life to be in the hands of the devil and be used to damn and destroy and ruin and kill and, and soil other people's lives, especially my own soul, I think I'll turn my life over to Jesus Christ. Maybe he can do something with it. So the reason why God used Paul was because he first got saved. You want 2023 to be a good year? Make sure you're saved. Make sure you've been born again. You say, well, I'm a member of a church. Won't do any good. God doesn't check your membership when you die. Say, well, I was baptized. You can be baptized every week of your life. It will not save you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. You're not good enough. You must be born again, Jesus said to a very religious good man named Nicodemus. He was saved. He was also a servant of Jesus Christ. Did you look at that verse, verse 1, Paul? Before he says anything else, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. More than just a believer. You know, it's easy to believe. It's a lot harder to decide, I guess I'm going to serve. If Jesus tells me I have to love the brethren, some of them are very hard to believe, <laughs> to love, just like I'm hard to love, it's, but I'm commanded to love the brethren. I'm also commanded to love my neighbor. I'm also commanded to love my enemy. Wow. If I'm supposed to be saved, if I do believe in Lord Jesus Christ, and if I serve him, I'll do whatever he asks me to do. That's a servant. That's a servant, not a slave, by the way. It's a choice. You see, it was a choice that Paul made every day of his life. You're in Romans now. Go back to chapter, go to the right, go to chapter 6 and verse 16. Romans 6, 16. Romans 6, 16. No, you're not. Don't you know that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin, leading unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. You choose every day of your life who you're going to obey. You're going to obey the pillow, or you're going to obey your lusts, you're going to obey your phone, or you're going to obey your girlfriend, or you're going to obey your parents. You choose every day who you're going to obey. Well, a servant of Jesus Christ says, the first person I'm going to obey is Jesus. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Not, that's not just a title. It's a lifestyle. He had an attitude about, I'm a servant. That was more important than anything else he could be. And he was called. 
go back to Romans chapter 1, notice these cute words he uses. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, I, I'm called to be an apostle. He says, Jesus asked me to be an apostle. I mean, look, some people, it's nice when they invite you over for dinner, huh? It's actually nice when somebody comes along and says, I think you'd make a good politician. I don't think that's very nice after all. <laughs> but somebody says, I think we need you in the government. What they're doing, they're, they're calling you, they're compelling you to step out of your life and to do something different. Well, here, Paul, who he is being a, a, a persecutor and a murderer of Christians, and then here comes Jesus saying, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to do this. That is his calling. And what was amazing was he was separated to that call. Look at the end of verse 1. I'm separated unto the gospel. Paul says, I don't care. if No one else goes with me. Everyone else can go another way. I'm separated. I'm walking out of the crowd. I know the drum is beating that direction, but I will go this. I will follow Jesus Christ. I am separated under that call. Now, everybody who ever got married understands that. Because before you got married, you may have had a couple of girlfriends or a couple of boyfriends, and, and uh, <clears throat> you may have had some fun, but all of a sudden you meet Mrs. Wright. And Mrs. Wright demands absolute attention, amen? So does Mr. Wright. And you decide, I'm separated under her, amen? That's my life now from now on. I make a choice that I'm now, no, those, those old relationships, those old uh, emails, I used to, I wanted to say those love letters. Nobody has a love letter anymore. Everything's by email and texting. But all those old love letters have to be burned, amen? You're separated unto this new relationship. And the same is true with the Christian life. These are the things that made Paul successful as a Christian. A lot of people in this room know God's got their hand on them. Wants, they want to be used of God, but they've never stepped out and said, I'll do it. Hell or high water, I'm going to do it. Then we come to verse, let's read the last part there, separate unto, look at these words, you ought to underline them. The gospel of God. Wow. What a great statement. Let's keep going. Verse 2, which he had promised to forward by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Now, he just said in that, those three verses, well, one, two, three, four, a mouthful. He said 20 things, and I can't talk about them all, but I want you to see he describes it as the gospel of God. Who, who started the gospel? Who gave us the gospel? Not the church. It's God's gospel. It's, it came from him. As a matter of fact, in, in, in the Bible, the gospel is described as the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's son, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of peace between us and God, the gospel of the uncircumcision and the circumcision is for both, and the gospel of your salvation. Wow, that gospel seems to be everywhere. It seems to have a big meaning. You know what the meaning of the word gospel is? Good news. Good news. I'm amazed that in our day where we get 23 hours of, of every day, <laughs> almost it seems like, of waking hours, we get so many negative news that people don't starve and run to the Bible to get some good news. It really amazes me. What we've done is we've become so accustomed to get into the bad news and then going into a fairy tale fairy tale fairy tale world of entertainment. We never want good news. We never want something that gives us hope. Man, despair will kill anyone. No wonder the world has so filled our time with entertainment because if we didn't have Netflix, if we didn't have Disney, if we didn't have a bit of laughter on our TV, we'd kill ourselves. That's where we're at. And so the world knows we've got to keep this up. And even that's not enough because the doctors are handing out the Prozac and the pills left, right, and center. The drink is flowing because nobody has good news. I got it. I found it, man. Gospel means good news. What's the good news? That God can fix whatever sin has ruined. 
God can make up for every bit of your past. You see, every one of us deserve hell, and yet he can change our direction. Amen? That's good news. You find out, I just found out a friend of mine up in Dublin, a preacher friend of mine just found out he's got stomach cancer. I mean, wow. You know, it'd be nice for him to hear. Somebody just found a sure cure to that. And I tell you what, that'd be good news for him, wouldn't it? gospel is more than just a message you hear it is a way of life and i will hammer this all this year it is a way of thinking it is a filter through which you perceive life and when trouble comes at you when cancer comes at you when bills come at you when when disaster comes at you you filter it through it's gonna be okay i read the last chapter i know how it all works you see if you start to believe the gospel you'll start to live the gospel and you'll start to enjoy life. Now, verse 2 tells us it's only found in the scriptures. Verse 2, which he promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You'll not find it in politics. Every politician gets up there. If you elect me, I will make sure life is better. That's what they, they could put a, a record player. And that's all they ever say. Oh, I'm going to make things better. I'm going to make things better. They're trying to give you some hope. They're trying to give you some good news. And they fail. We're not going to find the gospel in politics or science or technology or in outer space. We're going to find it in a book that anyone can pick up and read and test and study and believe called the Bible. Mm. The gospel is, is like a, it's like there's lights, all of these, it's like a diamond. It's all of these huge, brilliant, bright halogen lamps all focusing on the gem of the gospel and they are the law and the prophets and every page and chapter of the Old Testament beaming, focusing on the gospel. 300 scriptures all pointing to the greatest event of all time, the coming and the living, and the dying and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what your Bible's full of. It's found in the scriptures and it concerns God's son. Now, a lot of churches you go into, what's the main focus? You. I think most churches should just have the word McDonald's on top of it. When I was a kid, there was a song. You, you're the one. You are the only reason. It was a McDonald's ad. I still remember it. You, you're the one. Why we take pride in pleasing. And the idea is to get you, oh man, I'm important to McDonald's. <laughs> have it my way. Isn't that what McDonald's says? You have, I'm loving it. It's all about you. And that's what most churches have become when really the gospel is about who? God's son. When you focus on him and you realize he wants you, it's amazing. It puts you in perspective. I'm not the most important. He is. His son, God's son, the God man. He describes it there. I don't have time to go through. Man, it's just way cool. He's called the son of David, and yet he's also called the son of God. How can he be both? He's the God man. He's God in the flesh. Then verse 5 says that when Paul believed the gospel, he got two things. Look in verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his sake. So you ought to circle the word all nations because I'm going to come to that in a second. But what did Paul get when he believed the gospel? He got grace. It's like a door. Behind that door is, is all the kindness of God, all of the ability of God, all the enablement. Everything that's lacking in my life is behind that door. How do I open that door? By faith. I don't have to get up. I don't have to go get baptized. I just ask and I says, if that grace is available for me, I accept it now. And bam, the door goes open and you're blessed with Jesus Christ and with every spiritual blessing. That is the gospel. You get grace. Grace, as I said last week, grace is undeserved. If anybody has grace with you, it's because they're just kind because they want to be, not because you earned it. That's grace. And then he says, so if you need help, the Bible says you can have grace to help in time of need. The Bible says come before his throne and pray and ask. But the second thing he says, apostleship, which is authority. Uh, apostleship was Paul's calling. 
So the idea is you don't want to just be saved. You need to do something with your life, the value. Uh, you're in Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go to the right, 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You ever heard that? But for the grace of God, somebody says, except if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd be a mess. Well, that's where it comes from. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. If there's anything good in me, it's because God's been kind enough to help me do something or supply something or be something. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed, think of the word poured out, just um, dumped on me, was not in vain. It was not wasted on me. But because of that grace, what did Paul do? I labored more abundantly than they, talking about Peter and James and John and everybody else who was claiming to be also so spiritual. He says, I labored more than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me, that was helping me do the labor. Don't waste the grace of God in your life. If God has given you a breath today and brought you to church, don't waste the opportunity to get saved this morning because God's been very gracious to you and offering you another chance to get into his kingdom. See, what do I have to do? Come join your church? Not on your life. You need to bow your head and cry out to God Almighty who's listening for you right now and say, I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy, wicked sinner. I've always thought I was good enough, but I know I'll never be good enough. I just, if you're gracious, I accept the kindness you have, and I accept Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me. Say, that's a complicated prayer. I'm just trying to give you a thought that he's waiting for you to come to him with the right attitude, and he'll give you the answer. And then he'll give you a job to do. Now, he gave Paul the job to be an apostle so he could reach the world. I mean, he's writing scripture. He's starting churches, all that stuff. You know what's funny? It's our same calling. Look at verse 6. Among whom, all those nations, are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. All Christians are both saved and called by the same person. Do you know, you're not saved by a church, as I've said, and you're not called by the pastor. I cannot come along here and say, Gavin, you're called to be a rocket scientist. Okay? I can't tell you what God's call is for your life. Jesus will. But when we're saved, we actually are also, all of us have a purpose. We've all been called, invited, compelled by Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 10. Hold in your place here in Romans. We're going back and forth a little bit. John chapter 10 and verse 27. John 10, 27. My sheep, Jesus speaking. If you've got a red letter edition of your Bible, you can see it's Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they do what? Say it with me. They follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. You want it? It's a gift. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So who saves you? Jesus Christ. Who calls you? Jesus Christ. So therefore, we are all called to be and to do some things in the kingdom of God. Now, we're not all called to do the same thing. Um, not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to be a teacher. We're all called to different things. I don't have time. I'll skip this part here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll look at it another day. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul compares it to a body. I mean, I've got one body, amen. But I've got lots of little members, Okay. I've got two ears, two eyes, two noses, <laughs> two chins. Um, I've, got, I've got 10 fingers, 10 toes. I've got lots of pieces. They're all part of one body, and each piece is important. How many of you want to lose your pinky? Just, just come next door. We've got a little saw. Zoom. <laughs> no, no, you want every part, don't you? You like every part of you, okay, especially every hair follicle. But... Um, Every part of your body is important, and every person who gets saved is important. You have a place in the church. 
not just a seat, but you have a place of service. You have a thing to do. You have people to reach. You have a family to guide. You have um, truth to teach. We all are part of a calling. Well, pastor, you're called. Yeah, I'm called. So are you. Do you ever think of that? Thankfully, we have some people who volunteer and they play the piano. What are you supposed to do? We're all called. So according to the Bible, we are called to be saints. I'll show you something here. This is kind of uh, fun. Look in verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be what? You know what I'm looking at? If you're saved, I'm looking at St. Tom, or so they call him, St. Thomas. I'm looking at St. Bethany. St. I'll skip him. St. Lily, no. <laughs> Think about that title. Where are the saints? They're not in heaven. They're not where they are. I mean, they're there. But you know where saints are? They're sitting right here in this room. We're called to be. They say, well, I'm no saint, but you're called to be one. How's your life? Are you a jerk all the time? Are you bitter? Do you walk around kicking every cat and every dog and every kid in your way? Or are you a saint? You're called to be somebody better than you are. Be a saint. Paul writes to churches all throughout the, the, the New Testament. He writes to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Colossae, not just in heaven, but the ones who are living right there. We're called to be saints. We're called to be Christ-like. Some people are so hung up on their culture. That's not how we do it. Well, we don't do it this way. That's not our culture. You know what? I, I'm glad culture is a fine thing. But you better be like, you better be Christ-like. So if you're so hung up, it's like a Jew being so hung up on, it's Saturday, it's Saturday, it's Saturday. Don't worry about Saturday. Be Christ-like. Oh, well, you know, we don't do that. Hey, be like Christ did. Live like Christ, love like Christ, suffer like Christ. Be Christ-like. That's our calling. You say, well, we're failing. Yeah, but we have a goal. We are called. You ever been late to dinner? Somebody phones you up and says, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? And you're a half hour late. You were called to be there at a certain time and you kind of missed it. Aren't you glad they still go ahead and say, yeah, come on and eat anyway? And when God says, all right, you're a little late, Gavin. I know you're a little slow on picking up, but I still want to use you to be Christ-like. Third, to be holy. Hold your place here and go to the right. Find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Almost to Hebrews. If you hit Hebrews, go back a few pages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. First Thessalonians 4, 7. We are called to be holy. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness. Now that's a great statement. God didn't call you to drink and get drunk. God didn't call you to do drugs. God didn't call you to watch porn. God didn't call you to live as you please. He called you unto what? He called you unto one man, one woman for life. God called you to do right, to do the right thing. I'm called unto holy, not perfection. Thank God. But that's my calling. I should live right. I should live godly, clean. Romans 8.28. Go back to Romans. Find Romans 8.28. We all have the same calling, and, and thankfully, we're called to a good end. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are, hello, <laughs> here's our calling. We are called according to his purpose. You know, if you just, man, if you just start to realize, you know, I have a calling. God called me to a good end. I, I grew up with divorce in my family. I grew up with fighting. I grew up with, with trouble. Grew up with a mess. But I'm called to a better life. I know that God can take a mess and make it good. God can hold things together. God can fix things. We're called to a good end. Aren't you glad we're going to heaven? And then he starts off with these words, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, 
called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. He's never seen them. And there he is praying for them. He's yearning to see them. Making 10, verse 10, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Now he writes this, he doesn't know he's going to be taken in that boat, remember? As a criminal with 276 other criminals and he's, he's taken to Rome. He was expecting to go to Rome buying his own tickets and walking his own way. But he yearned to go there anyway. Verse 11, why? Why would he want? Why would he write this? For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Every one of you probably got a gift at Christmas. Hope you got some, at least one thing. But Paul says, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. To all that be in Rome. Uh, who were the Romans? Rome was a very pagan city. Had a million people who were wealthy, were powerful. They ruled the, the Roman Empire, there were, uh, there were hundreds of thousands of, of citizens and hundreds of thousands of slaves filling that city. Mainly filled with Gentiles, but there were quite a few Jews uh, living in that city. Wherever there's money, you'll find Jews. And some were already saved and had churches there. And we'll find about some of those churches in chapter 15 and 16. But Romans is mainly written for the Gentiles. There's another book in the Bible that's mainly written for the Jews to explain the gospel to them. You know which book it is? Hebrews. Romans to the Gentiles, Hebrews to the Jews, explaining a lot of the same things. But Paul says it, this book, Romans, is written to all. Did you notice that? To all that be in Rome. That's Jew and Gentile. Whether you're saved or lost, you're going to find some scriptures in Romans that tell a lost man how to get saved. You know what would do somebody good? To just read the Bible. Say, well, I'm not religious. Read the Bible. Used to be in the universities, people had to read the Bible. That was a university course, studying logic, studying law, philosophy, studying not just religion, but when it came to law and when it came to free will, people studied the book of Romans. It is a fantastic book. It's written to all people. It was mainly written to the believers. Notice what he calls them. Look there in verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. You ever written somebody that? I mean, I'd write Nita a letter to Nita, my beloved. But Paul's writing to people he's never met yet. He says, I don't know you yet. I kind of love you, but I know God loves you. You're beloved of God. Pretty amazing there. And Paul has a wish for his readers. Verse 7 goes on. Call to be saints, grace to you and peace. You know what Rome was known for? Planning war. <laughs> he said, I'd like you to get out of that, that mindset, and I want you to know grace and peace in your homes. You want to you pray for somebody? Pray for grace and peace in their life, especially the storm they go through. Paul's wish goes on to a joy, verse 8. He says, I thank my God. I'm excited through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. You guys have an active faith. I hear about people in Rome preaching and soul winning and, and, and teaching and, and evangelizing. I hear about you all the way a thousand miles away before the internet. He says, your faith is heard everywhere, spoken up throughout the whole world even. And Paul had a yearning, verse 9, keep going there, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So he's praying for him, but he makes a request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. You know, he's praying that I get to church that I'd be able to spend time with other believers up there. I'm here, I've, I've started churches, I've, I've preached and I've taught, but there's another group there, and I don't know how they're doing. Paul, like a parent, wants to make sure the kids are okay. 
and that they're being, they're, they're being protected and they're stable. They're not being drawn about by every wind of doctrine, which was going on back in that day and this day. Paul says, I long to see you. What a way to talk to about people you never met. It's my attitude on a Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, I get to see some of you, and it's a shame I only get to see some. I like to see all of you on a Wednesday because I do long to see you all, just like Paul did the Romans. Paul had a goal for him. Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of you and me. Now, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. I was, I was restrained. I was confined to this place. I can't get to you yet. But I purposed to come that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. What was Paul's goal? I want to help you. As an apostle, he could teach things. He was writing the New Testament before the New Testament was written. He says, I want to help you. I want to disciple you. I want to explain and answer your questions. Now, the Christians in Rome, all they had was the Old Testament. And have you ever read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and scratched your head saying, I don't know what Leviticus is talking about? You ever thought that? All right. So it's nice to have somebody come along and says, Jesus took care of every one of those things. Those are the precision of worship of God. If you want to try to do it on your own, you got to do it that way. If you want it to have been done perfectly already, follow Jesus. It'll make you appreciate the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. But if you don't have that helper, remember the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. He only had the Old Testament. And he's sitting there reading the book of Isaiah. And here comes Philip. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I accept I have a guide, except some man guide me? And up pops Philip into the chariot with him and shows him, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Oh, there's Jesus again. And the eunuch gets saved and gets baptized, goes away rejoicing. Paul's goal was, I want to make sure you guys are learning the Bible, just like you do. You could be saved and miss church and stay home and have a bad attitude and be carnal all your life. You'll still go to heaven. You won't have any rewards. And there'll be a lot of tears because the Lord will publicly rebuke you. But, man, when we look at this, when we look at this, Paul says, I, I, uh, I make time to be at church so that somebody corrects my misunderstanding. That's why we come to church, because you don't know it all, neither do I. But as we learn the Bible, iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? And it makes it so that, wow, that helped me. I, 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 when I first got saved, nobody had to tell me. I bought me a, a, a wire-bound notebook, and I just started taking down notes. When the pastor quoted a verse, I'd write it down. I'd go look it up at home. I'm trying to take, it, take down everything I could as he preached and as he taught and as my Sunday school teacher taught and as people talked. I took that notebook with me, and I still got them with me, by the way. Still keep adding to them. But what was I doing? I was adjusting. I was I was adapting. I was learning. So that's how you love your wife. So that's how you, you win a soul. That's how you give the gospel. That's how you pray. That's how you stop complaining. So when we come to church, Paul said, I'm there to help things that are kind of out of balance or unstable in, in their life. He had a goal so it could produce fruit. You come to a tree and it's not producing fruit. You may look and find a lot of dead branches. And so you prune that tree you have a, an old apple tree if you want it to produce fruit again you cut it back so it could produce fruit again and when you come to church and the pastor sort of rubs you the wrong way it's because he's trying to prune you and help you so that you produce fruit again paul had a goal for them spiritual goal and did you notice that mutual faith there's only one faith folks there's not the baptist faith or the catholic faith or the buddhist faith just one faith that's the faith that jesus taught that's all I want to know. What did Jesus say? What does the Bible say? You know, Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'll just keep following him. Then Paul has a resolve, and we'll finish with this. Look at verse 14, 15, 16. We'll pick this up next, next week. He says, three I ams. Verse 14. You want to circle these three words? I am debtor. That's his first phrase. 
I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much is in me, here's the second, is I am ready. That's the second phrase. To preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. And then verse 16 gives us our third. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the, uh, to the Gentile. He's very self-aware. He knows who he is. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's not in some airy-fairy religious atmosphere. He says, I have a debt that I must pay. I am obligated to who? To the whole world. I'm not just, uh, I'm just not told to go. I am obligated to go. That's how a servant lives. A servant says, I've been given a second chance. I've been given a, a new life. I want to serve. I want, I want to let him know what he gave me was not wasted. You know, when a Garda gets sworn in, you know what the Garda is obligated to do? To protect and to serve. He's obligated, whether he feels like it or not, doesn't he? You know what a doctor is obligated to do? To save life, not take it. They're obligated. You know what a Christian's obligated to do? To care about the lost. We're in debt. We owe the world what we have been given. See, here is a Jew who owed the gospel to the Greeks. I mean, Jews never felt like they owed the world anything. <laughs> the, Jews, the Jews had this attitude, the world was lost, there was no hope for them. They, don't, they called them dogs, called us dogs. And here's this Jew saying, I owe these Gentiles my life. I'm indebted. I'm, I'm obligated to give them what Jesus gave me. Whether they're barbarians, which is another word for foreigners. Uncivilized. To the well-educated, those are the wise, like if he met Socrates. Oh, I've got to give him the gospel. Or the unwise, the uneducated, the ignorant, the low class. No one was to be overlooked, Paul said. Or ignored. And Paul says, I'm ready. With every fiber of my being, I'm going ahead. I'm dead or I'm ready. I'm willing, I'm yielded, I'm agreeing to this calling that God gave me. Was, jo uh, sorry, was um, Jonah willing? Was he ready to go to Nineveh? No. You know what we learned from Jonah? Don't be like Jonah. <laughs> you know, when God calls you, God put, and you, God doesn't have to call you to a big thing. He could call you at one moment, give that person a gospel try. And if you're not willing, what are you? Be ready and open to give the gospel. I am ready. I'm prepared. I'm prepared for the rejection. I'm prepared for the hardship. Paul says he was prepared for the imprisonments, for the poverty. He was prepared to relearn the entire gospel. He started off thinking he was a very intelligent Jew. And then he met Jesus. He had to start completely over like a baby and start all over and learn everything again all over. Are you ready to do that? Say, well, I was born a Catholic. I'll die a Catholic. Uh, you were born a sinner. You'll die a sinner is what you'll do. You must be born again and start completely over and say, I'm just going to learn what Jesus taught. And I think this last is his best. He says, I'm not ashamed. You know what the cross will do? It'll take the emphasis off of you and me and notice that Jesus took the shame, didn't he? When he died on that cross, was he dying as, as, a, uh, uh, you know, as a, a movie star, as an influencer, as a YouTuber, as an Instagrammer? Is that how he died? Or was he died in absolute shame? He took the shame. So whatever they give to you, whatever they give out to you about, is really about him, isn't it? He took all that shame. I'll take it because it's not about me. It's about the Son of God. When people get upset at that, it's because it cuts. It shows we're really lost and that he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come in here. He could have been an emperor. He could have been a super powerful world leader, and he chose instead to be a servant. And as a servant, what did he do? He humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And that humiliation, Paul says, if he was willing to be that humiliated, I will never be humiliated. I will never be ashamed of what I get to tell people about. Now this letter to the Romans, letter to the Romans will help us understand the condition of the human heart. 
and the only way it can be saved. You want to know how to be saved? Book of Romans tells you 40 times how to be saved in the book. It is more than a message about just Christ's death, his burial and resurrection. The gospel is about our life now. It is a way of life, a way of thinking, a way of loving and serving and suffering. The gospel is the only hope for this world. Paul starts this letter with a reminder. Sometimes. Let's go back here. That we have been called to be saints here and now, to be Christ-like now, to be holy now, and to, be, and to just trust that we're called to a good end. Whenever it happens, it's going to be okay. So what are we going to do with the gospel? That book will tell us what to do with it. The previous book took the gospel into all the world, turned the world upside down. What are you going to do with it? You know, I think our world needs the gospel to go around again, don't you think? The question is, if, if, if you were asked today, where would you go if you died? Could you say, I'm going to heaven? Would you say it proudly or humbly? And I'm not worthy. As much as I've gone to church, as much as I've prayed my prayers, I realize that that cross is what God was looking for. That's God coming and dying the death that I should die. And so I'm trusting him. Do you know you're saved? I would question, I said, do you even know what the gospel means to you? If you don't, today's the day to believe it. Even though you don't fully understand it, believe. It's the good news that Jesus died for you. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Father, here we are in the beginning of 2023. That's kind of unique. It's 2,023 years since Jesus was born. And the gospel is still needed. Every generation needs to hear the gospel. No matter how many times we've heard it, we've got to ask yourself, are we living it? I was saved 42 years ago. I know what I'm called to be. I know what I'm not. So we go through this book this year, God. I, I ask that we would humble ourselves before it and just listen to it like it was written to us and let it cut and change us because this is the only hope for the world. Lord, I pray as we start this new year, you'd start over with us with the right spirit, humble spirit saying, I'm going to do things right. I know I'm going to fail, but Lord, if you're willing to start over with me, I'll start over too. It begins with being born again. We only have to be born a second time once. <laughs> but it must happen. Because if you're not saved, Jesus said, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? We're all doomed. And we've all been given grace. If only we would take it. So bless your words this morning. Help us to really, really take in every word of this book and learn it and live it. In Jesus' name, amen.